You know, if you want to take a good spin on this, the very best spin that I can give you is we have a lot of vegans in town, right? So if you want to argue, it really is mostly plant matter processed through high energy individuals. So. Thanks for coming in. It's good to have you here. Thank you for having me. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Let's get kicked off. So I, I'm, I'm Rob Edgeworth. I, I live in Guiones. I've been here most of the year for about six years. And then I bought a place in K-Section about three years ago and have been continuously renovating ever since. Now, you've been up to multiple things in the community, but today we're going to talk about a lot of the water studies and things that have been going on. And I don't think many people know you were backing a lot of this and supporting it, and you've been a big part of it. You also are Dr. Robert Edgeworth and have qualities to dis- or qualifications to discuss this stuff. So can you get us up to speed with just – we did a podcast with Vanessa, so people have mm-hmm. heard of the water studies, but I don't think people really understand it all too terribly much. Can you kick us off with what's, what's been happening? I spend most of my time here in the rainy season. And every year you would see this debate on Facebook about the kind of brown, oily scum that we see in the waves almost continuously once the rain starts hitting. And to me, it really looked like sewage. And But equally, there's people with strong opinions saying, no, nah, that's, that's like plant debris or it's the turtles. You know, you know all the stories. And it's just, it's not productive to have arguments with people on the internet about it. So Vanessa talked a little bit about some data collection she had done where she was using test strips to look at ammonia content. And these test strips are really insensitive. Um, When she posted about that three years ago, I kind of made a snarky comment that she was wasting her time because I did the calculations and you would have to have almost a full tanker truck of ammonia dumped into the, the ocean at Guiones in order to move one indication on her test strip. Okay, so your background in science and facts and data quickly added up, it sounds like. In, in yeah, I just, you know, my, my PhD is in, in mechanical engineering, specializing in metrology, and I worked for Intel for about 13 years, and my primary job was managing engineers who develop measurement processes for the semiconductor manufacturing. So we were always looking at, you know, nanotechnology level measurements and developing things that were impossible to do the year before, you know. So that's that's kind of the basis. And that's where I was just, okay, Vanessa, you're going to measure this ammonia. Eh, I don't think you're able to detect anything. Well, two years ahead, you know, again, we're having this debate about what's that nasty looking stuff in the water. And, you know, Vanessa mentioned to me that sometimes the test strips would indicate elevated ammonia levels. And that got me very concerned because it's literally, it's like at least a tanker truck full of ammonia has to be in the water for for her to detect that sort of thing, right? And you just think about the, you know, ammonia is a component of urine and that's, that's where it's coming from. But the volume of that concentrated ammonia means that there's just a phenomenal amount of waste ending up in the ocean for her to see anything at all. So that's where, again, 
people can't be convinced. You know, if you, you take the position that those are leaves or it's a, you know, an algae bloom and you've got big financial investments here, you're not going to have your mind changed just because I say, well, I have a PhD and I'm pretty sure, you know, so, so I had this conversation with Vanessa about, okay, what would it take to make the measurements to, to really understand is, is this sewage or not? And, um, she agreed to take the ball and run with that. And so she did a lot of work. She did a lot of research on the methods that are used to, to test for water quality, got in touch with Surfer Rider Foundation. Uh, and they, they have a lot of resources there on, on water quality. You know, it's a really critical thing, of course, for surfers. And ultimately, we came down to uh, we wanted to measure in a way that was consistent with what Costa Rica does now. And what they do is they measure fecal coliform, which is a bacteria that lives in mammalian uh, digestive systems. And that's the, the standard they use when they do the blue flag testing and what they use nationally in terms of water quality. I mean, it's really important that as we learn about what's going on here, that we can communicate with the government and they recognize that what we're talking about is valid. So that, that was a really good decision. But there's a bunch of catches about this, and it's important to understand these things to have context for what the results are now. Okay, so the Costa Rican standard for water quality is 240 colonies per 100 milliliters of water. Okay. Okay. 100 milliliters, a milliliter of water is a, a few drops. Okay. So basically... The water passes until every drop of water has bacteria in it. Okay? So you have to think about, you know, when you're paddling out, is it acceptable to you that every drop of water that's going in your eyes and you're inhaling and it's going into your hair and into your ears, into every little bug bite you have on your body, all of that has bacteria from sewage in it. That's the failure standard. Okay. Second issue is for salt water, and we're testing at the bulk. We Vanessa's doing all the work. Let's be really clear on that. But you know, Vanessa's testing at the Boca, which is a freshwater source, and then she's also testing in a couple of places in Guiones on the beach, which is salt water. In salt water, the fecal coliform dies at an enormous rate. So there's studies from the U.S. and the northeastern U.S. that show as the water temperature goes up, as much as 90% of the coliform dies within 24 hours, okay? And that's at lower temperatures than our water is year-round. So we would see an even faster rate of this indicator species we're using disappearing from the signal, okay? So for it to fail on the beach, it basically means there's an active stream of sewage present that is flowing into the ocean in order to refresh that and keep the, the uh, active um, bacteria level such that, it, that it's detectable and fails the Costa Rican standard. Okay? So, here's the bad news. It failed several times, both at Baker's Beach north entrance and near near the palm tree you know, by the area of harmony 
That didn't happen until late August. Uh, so it was well into the rainy season. And we just had, we had a very weird year last year because the beach was closed for three months. The town was deserted for most of those three months. And then it's ramped up to this crazy thing that we have today. Um, but when it failed, we talked about it, and one of our, our questions was, okay, what's the source? Is this maybe, you know, water from the Boca? Because the Boca had been failing continuously since from the moment it started raining, basically. You know, are we seeing agriculture sources where the Boca is flowing out? The current might have changed and starting to feed into Guiones instead of going out in the deep ocean, which it normally does. Um, so what Vanessa did to tackle that is she went to the three estuaries in Guiones, in the, the habited, inhabited area of Guiones. We're not really paying any attention to Guiones, sir, here. But, you know, in North Guiones, there's an estuary. Down by Harmony, there's an estuary. And then as you get down to Baker's Beach, there's another estuary. So she went and sampled the fresh waters that are there and tested them. Those tests came back off the charts, like 10,000 colonies per 100 milliliters. But basically, the estuaries are filling with sewage. And then when you get a big pulse of rain, it pushes it out of the estuaries, and it floods into the ocean. And you have this period of time as those estuaries are draining into the ocean where we are able to detect a pollution signal in the ocean. Okay. So this is, you know, one of the points I really wanted to bring up, I mentioned to you earlier, is don't let your kids be playing in the creeks when they're flowing in, in, in this region because they're heavily polluted. And then that material is flowing, collecting in the estuary, definitely stay out of the estuaries. And then that, that's the source where we're seeing these pulses of nasty stuff that ends up in the waves. It's not good. It's really not good. And that's like, you look at her data and it's like, oh, well, there's two or three weeks a year that it failed in Guiones. That, eh, it's, not, it's not good, but it's nothing to be all that upset about. It's a lot worse than what that data is saying because the standard is so high and the, the natural process that kills off the indicator species. You know, so just because we don't detect the fecal coliform doesn't mean there isn't disease-causing material out there. You know, and... Uh, a good friend of mine had a very serious skin infection this year. She ended up in the hospital for a week. I was worried she was going to have the, the leg amputated. It was so bad. And I'm sure that was driven by exposure to bacteria that was in the water. Man, so that's a lot to digest. That's, that's heavy. Um, so try to recap. The results came in, and on the surface, they did not seem as scary as... as it didn't seem like horrible news, and what you're here to do is clarify hey, this is actually how this works. There's certain parts of this that are very scary that we should all be concerned about. Is that right? Yeah, I, I, I think we should be very concerned about the fact it fails at all, right? That it's just, that's not good. And then, you know, if you have conversations with people who've been here 25, 30 years, this is not surprising, right? The way that septic systems were built back then was very crude. And a lot of people have come along and they bought this house and, you know, they basically paid for the land. The house was for free and they renovated the house, added bedrooms, you know, made a nicer kitchen, had a big patio, you know, all, all of these additions to that house. They didn't touch the septic systems and the septic system was defective to begin with. 
and now you put a much larger usage, a much more larger loading on it. And all the know. new construction and all the new people, all the hotels. Yeah. Uh, Nosar has become popular. People are coming in. Yeah, and and a, a lot of this stuff, I think, was built around the assumption that in rainy season that there wouldn't be anybody here. You know, and, and it, we have a very challenging environment in rainy season. But the water table moves up. The, the ground becomes saturated. And then you get 48 inches of rain in, in 48 hours. And, you know, a lot of these old tank systems are built such that the rainwater can just flood into them. So, you know, when it rains that heavy, it just cleans your tank out and puts it all into those estuaries. And then it ends up in the ocean. So, there, you know, the, the installed base of septic systems in, in Guiones and Palata and up into Huacas almost all of them probably need to be replaced. And then we have the further challenge of new development that's using these models that are like, well, I see beach houses like this in San Diego. You know, this is, we'll, we'll build it on 300 square meters and, you know, we'll cover 80% of the property. Well, San Diego has a sewer system. We don't. And I, I don't see that these new houses, you know, multi-million dollars houses are being built with the proper capability of handling their wastes. I might be wrong. Let's hope you are. By observation, I'm very concerned. I get you. Well, I appreciate you coming on here to say this publicly because I know it's not popular. It's not fun to talk about, but it is something we all should be concerned about, obviously. So let's fast forward. Where are we at now? And where are we going? You know, Vanessa is, is not a charity. She, she has to eat and, you know, she has to live. And, you know, the funding has expired for, for the year. Um, she needs... Uh, funding for uh, materials to, to sample. She wants to measure uh, the, the recommended bacteria that Surfrider Foundation uses for water cleanliness, add that to the list. So that, that would be, there's some capital investment. That makes sense. Yeah, I, again, you know, the first logic was to let's measure something that, that allows us to communicate with the government of Costa Rica consistent with their standard, and that's done. But now... You know, people are asking her, is it safe to go in the water? She can't answer that question. You know, so that, that's where measuring this enterococcus would give us the ability to be consistent with what Surfrider is saying is, is a good measure of, of uh, safety for, for, for the surfing. Community. So the offendings ran out. Now, initially, that was basically you and the Guanacaste Fund, if I, if I remember correctly. Is that right? Yeah, I put up a big chunk to get it going. Gary put a substantial amount of money in as well from Bodhi Tree. Uh, Shout and then out a, to him. A, a, a number of individual homeowners put in more money as well. Uh, but yeah, Guanacosti Fund was by far the biggest individual, and then I was second on that list. I get you. So now as we're going forward, is should we find more businesses and homeowners and people to get to behind the funding to provide more data or do you want people to focus on adjusting their septic systems like what what's so the I, course of action going you know forward? i think we have to look at what can we do constructively right and i i think the first thing is we need to know if it's if the problem is getting better or worse so i think we should continue monitoring it okay and so i'm i'm converting a studio apartment that's on my property to be lab space for Vanessa to use to, to run the laboratory and store all the materials. And there's a, a number of pieces of equipment that I have to operate 24-7 in order to do these tests correctly. 
Uh, so I'm spending money to convert that and then giving up the rental income on it. That's really kind um, of you. Thanks for doing that. That's awesome. Well, I'm doing it out of self-interest, right? It's I, I would like the ocean to be cleaned. <laughs> um, so I'm really hoping that other people will pick up the financial side of, you know, we need another $15,000 to continue for this year. I was just about to say that. Can you walk us through the year or uh, and how would you expect people to to do it small lots of people making small donations or would you prefer targeting a couple people who really understand the importance of this data you know my personal feeling is that there's a lot of people nobody's getting super rich in this town but at the same time there's lots of people running businesses that are making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year you know nice good living and that's really dependent upon the 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 quality of the environment we have here, whether it's the, you know, the monkeys and the, the other animal life and, and of course the cleanliness of the ocean. So, you know, I, I'd really like to be asking those people to put up $500. Each. Gotcha. So and that, that would get us to the, to what we need to continue collecting this data, add in the one that'll give us a better measure of whether it's healthy to be in the water or not at a given time frame. Um, and, you know, I, th I think that there's, as a community, we ought to be looking at how lucky we are to have Vanessa here in this town. You know, a PhD in biology dedicated to these kind of conservation activities and dedicated not to having a political agenda about it. You know, she's working on doing the science, getting the data. Let's understand what's going on with the coral reefs. You know, this is a great resource to have. And we ought to try to fund her across the board in, in a much better way. Um, so I think that this personal project is my, my little pony that I'm, I'm trying to make happen so that we can continue to have progress. But I think there's a larger question of, is 15 enough? You know, we, we ought to be trying to, you know, fund her and, and uh, the people who work with her on, on a much more global level uh, in, in order to, you know, su support maintenance of this special place that we have. As you've been talking, part of me has been... Oh, really concerned, obviously, by the data that you shared, and it's it's scary. Mm -hmm. The other the other part of me is, uh, is thinking. I wonder how bad the re the other towns are, and how lucky are we to have people here who can focus on this? Yourself and then Vanessa, and we're we're kind of fortunate, even though it's bad news. It seems like it could be worse in some ways because we do have people who can look at it, and if people will help donate, you're saying we'll have continuous data, and at least we'll know what's going on. Yeah, I, I think a, a fundamental thing that I learned in my career is that if you measure something, you can make it better. And un, until you're measuring it, it's very hard to know if you're getting better or worse. So that's that's the, the opportunity here that we have in that we have someone with, with her skills who can you know easily maintain a lab like this, get accurate results. So we know that, that what we're getting is correct and not just some random result of a random process um so i think th that's a fundamental thing that we we continue to collect the data and understand is this problem getting better or worse and then you know there are ways that we could do more direct surveillance to look at problem areas if people are concerned about particular properties as sources that can be done i'd prefer that things be done on a volunteer basis and people step up you know themselves as property owners to make sure that they're 
taking care of their own shit, frankly. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> the only way to put it. The last podcast we did with Vanessa, the one good that came from it is a, a couple different homeowners all stepped up and had their stuff checked out. And it was so some people out there do care. I don't think it's a situation yeah. where everybody doesn't care. And it's just like, whatever. I think people actually do care. They just don't understand what's going on. Oh, and absolutely. There's, and also here, the way we communicate, basically, is we just fight on the Internet and sling opinions around like they're crazy to the point where people like yourself or the highest level people in the town generally don't go to the internet except for humor. No. Like it's a, it's a source yeah, of no, humor. It, it, I absolutely agree. And that's, as I said early on, there's no point in arguing with people about this. Let's get data and understand. Well, now so, you're breaking rule number one of living here, which is don't make sense because. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, trust me, I don't make sense. Yeah. Um, I think the other constructive thing that I've been working on is, you know, when I when I came into the property I bought, I said to my architect, you know, just looking at the construction quality, I know the septic system is no good. We're going to replace it. And he told me, well, I'll design one for you. And I said, no, you're not going to do it. I want a professional. And I so I had him hire a civil engineer who specialized in wastewater treatment in San Jose. And he designed the system to the replacement system we put in at my house. And I'll, I'll tell you, that system is so much larger. It has five tanks. That was his base system, five tanks, and the tanks are huge. You know, so that, that's, again, was ringing alarm bells when I'm looking at new construction and similar scale houses to mine. And they're, they got one tiny tank. And I'm like, mm, is that really correct? But anyway. Again, focusing on being constructive here rather than throwing stones at people. Um, my architect has been working with that engineer to build a checklist for inspection of septic systems. And he actually generated a list. I haven't seen it yet, but just last week, the, the engineer in San Jose made a list for us. That's and we've cool. got, you know, there are some, some local engineers, Ticos, that live here and surf and uh, you know, are qualified to, to take that kind of an inspection document and, and really thoroughly inspect for someone. There's a couple people in town who who don't have a conflict of interest. You know, they're not an architect and they're not a contractor, so they're not going to try to sell you something uh, that should be able to give you an unbiased review of where your system stands. Um, so I, I think that we can believe in, in the good faith actions of people that they'll go and take a look at this. And the odds are it's going to be bad news. You're going to need to spend money on a lot of these things because, firstly, the life cycle of a septic system is only about 20 years. There's a lot of 20-plus-year-old houses in this area. And secondly, 20 years ago, it probably wasn't built right in the first place. One of the biggest problems we have, one of the biggest reasons these things are failing, is Airbnb. Talk and us through that. Changed. Okay, so... A lot of these places are single-family homes. you got a three-bedroom house, pretty simple place with a pool. That septic system would have been designed on the assumption that it's going to have a single-family living in it. It's going to be mom, dad, two kids. Okay, I need a septic system for four people. Okay, The way the septic system works, the first thing it does is it separates the water. So it's separating the solids. And the solids are all almost the same density as water, so it takes a long time for them to settle out. And you're separating the oils out. All of that takes time, and time means tank size. So a tank designed for four people, if you put 12 people in that house, which is what happens when you rent it on Airbnb, 
the septic system can't handle it. And even if you had a well-designed system for those four people, you put 12 people in it for a week, the black water is going out and it's going to end up in the creeks and end up in the ocean. So I think that this is something we have to challenge the property managers about. You know, if you've got a house on Airbnb that says it, it sleeps 12 people, it sleeps 16 people, show me there's septic tanks for 12 people there. Because it's not the average occupancy of the house. It's the peak occupancy of the house. Good points. Good points. Yeah, the, the game has definitely changed. The whole Everything's changed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's um, unbelievable how things have changed in this town, even in the few years I've been here. Thank you for the info. Thanks for the support financially, physically, and actually location-wise. You, you've, done, you've done a great deal. I know this isn't fun to talk about, so... Well, let's try to end on somewhat of a lighter note. You gave us some, you gave us some productive stuff, but what's the ideal situation? Let's just go ahead and state what you would love to see happen. Let's fast forward into 5, 10, 15 years from now. What's happening in this town to make this situation improve? It's up to the individual property owners, right? We just don't have the kind of government that's, that's going to intervene in a way that this is going to change without good faith efforts on, on the part of individual property owners. That's just the truth. Um, I think that can happen. I think it's really unfortunate that people tried to shove through these regulations without consultation and didn't look at things like this because, you know, this is the feedback I would have given. If, if you want to restrict lot sizes, if you want to restrict coverages, looking at what's suitable in terms of septic systems would have given you all of those. And in a way that's non-controversial, right? I, I don't think you'll see anybody saying, I'm going to take you to court because I should be allowed to dump my shit in the ocean, right? It's not a person who's going to continue living here for very long if they did have that position. Um, so I, I think it's really on individuals to take responsibility for themselves. And yeah, long, long term, I think we need to have some performative standards and some real inspections during the building process. Really appreciate you coming in, speaking your mind like this. And again, thanks for everything yeah. you've done in the past. Yeah, well, hopefully we can have this talk on a more fun subject at some yeah. point. Well, <laughs> <You know? laughs> I would love to because you are a hilarious man. And normally when I talk to you, even if we're talking about something serious, you slide in some doozies of one-liners and stories and we haven't done any of that here today like can, can you give us a little bit of something to laugh about before you check out well you know if you want to take a good spin on this the very best spin that i can give you is we have a lot of vegans in town right so if you want to argue it really is mostly plant matter processed through high energy individuals so you know that Unfortunately, that's the best thing I can say about the whole situation. Is that our marketing campaign in like 2040, 2050? <laughs> Swim? No. Oh, Yeah, but, you know, a lot of people want to tell you that that's like decomposing plant matter. And it is, but first it was processed through a human, you know. that's. I appreciate your weird twist, sort of a joke. <sighs> yeah. I don't even know what to say, man. Let's end this episode on that note. Thanks yeah, for coming I, in. Uh,